from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. As promised, we're going to kick off the uh, this hour with an NFL conversation. Our friend Dave Sinekin momentarily. Nick Athen, primetimesportstalk.com. On the Chiefs as they get set to host the Bills. We will look back at that uh, game yesterday against uh, Cleveland. Uh, such a fascinating game in so many ways. But so was Saturday as the Green Bay Packers took care of business. They pick off the Rams. Here come the Buccaneers. We'll get a quick hit from Dave on that towards the end, but he'll join us Friday for a much more of an in-depth look at uh, the uh, NFC Championship game. Dave is theheadcheese.com. You can read his thoughts on Saturday's game. They are up at theheadcheese.com. Dave, Trenton, Ken, uh, you, before we get into the game, I love the question you posed. Of course, uh, you've been on the KFAN, the flagship of the Vikings in the Twin Cities for 25 years. And your question to Viking fans, uh, Packers, Saints, what would you have watched and who would you have pulled for? Well, we know it's not going to be Packers and Saints, but what do you think the answer would have been, Dave? Um, boy, it'd be tough to root. <laughs> Lesser of two evils. Which way do you think it would have went? Well, if you judge my Twitter feed, um, it was about three to one that, well, I'll never pull for the Packers, no matter what. But the the twenty five or thirty percent that chose the Saints that that really still stings really hard up here. The Bounty Gate situation, sure. like biggest chance to reach the Super Bowl with Favre, uh, that really still feels like such a lost opportunity. And Viking or Vikings fans just will never ever root for Sean Payton and that franchise. So that. It, it wasn't as overwhelmingly against the Packers as you might think, because that still does sting up here. Well, let's get into the game from uh, uh, from Saturday. Look, Aaron Donald was limited. Cooper Cup was out. But, you know, one of my takeaways in this game, Jason Goff, who was clearly playing hurt with the thumb injury, I thought he played better than, than a lot of people uh, expected him to play. Look, the better quarterback on the field was clearly number 12. But it's not that Jared Goff had a subpar performance uh, that the Packers are moving on. Goff was not terrible in that football game. No, I thought the same thing. Even when he was warming up and they were talking about the two gloves he was wearing and how he had had some success in colder weather when wearing gloves, you could see the way he was kind of rocking that ball in, in warm-ups. And I had a feeling we might see a maybe a better performance, and we really did. I mean, he had much more strength, much more control of the football. I really think not having Cooper Cup really did hurt that offense and not having that security blanket. I mean, Green Bay pressurized Goff on 48% of his dropbacks, the most he's faced all year. And not having his security blanket out there definitely, I think, held that offense back. But, yeah, that was uh, a much better Jared Goff than I was expecting. Still, the offense, 28 first downs, almost 500 yards of total mm. offense. This is an absolute clinic. And now we get a great matchup to go along with it. But Dave, uh, you know, one thing that jumped out early in the game, the frustrations from Aaron Rodgers. He saw, saw that throw into the end zone that wasn't caught, then one to Lazard, I think, on third down. They cut to him and looked like he said maybe... Catch the damn ball. Yes, and he yep. didn't say damn. He had another word for it. <laughs> Is that just Aaron Rodgers, who he is? Was it 
the pressure. Hey, we're in the NFC Championship game. No more on the line. There no more dinking around. I, what was that in your mind? Yeah, I, I do think he demands perfection, and I'm sure he was as hard as himself on that last drive at the end of the half when they mm-hmm. could have been picked off twice in the end zone before they got the field goal to go up nine. And he made a couple mistakes, and I know him. Sure, he was hitting himself pretty hard. I think he demands perfection. I think the players understand that. And uh, what you've been hearing all week about how this number one defense is unstoppable and they can stop anybody, uh, I think he took that to heart. He wanted to put as many points on the board as he could. So I, I just think that's the way he competes. And he knows the opportunity in front of him and this team right now. And, you know, no lead is safe in the playoffs. Nothing's guaranteed, and I think he just expects everyone to be on their game. You know, Dave, uh, you, you're a, an Indiana grad. You follow Big Ten football, and uh, where I'm going is Rashawn Gary, who, you know, a lot of people had mixed opinions about him when he came out of Michigan, and the Packers took him. I think uh, early in the early in the first round, uh, motor doesn't always go on. He kind of takes plays off. He seems to me like he's playing his best football of the year. Do you agree with Gary uh, elevating his game? And he clearly had a big role uh, in that win on Saturday. 100%. And I was in that camp really disappointed with the pick because of what you just said. The reports that the, the motor wasn't always there. And that's the one thing you want in a football player is a guy who loves the game, who's going to give it his all every second. You know, like we watched Devin White for Tampa Bay. You can tell how much he loves the game. Uh, but he has really, uh, outperformed what I expected. And I thought you know, it was interesting. The Packers linebacker coach, when they made the draft pick, was running through the halls. He was so excited about that pick. And I remember that because uh, I didn't see it. We didn't see much of it last year as they really were careful bringing him along, having signed the two Smiths in free agency. But, you know, Gary was only in on 60% of the snaps this past weekend. He was graded Packer defender by Pro Football Focus. And you notice him. You just notice him on the field. He's always around the quarterback. He's always making plays. And I think he has gotten to a point now where Green Bay, I think, will likely move on from Preston Smith, who's got a big cap number next year, uh, and, and allow Gary to take over those snaps. He's demanded playing time with what he's done on the field. And uh, I'm as surprised as anybody. i happily surprised. That, that was not the direction I wanted Green Bay to go last draft. But clearly they knew what they were doing. They've gotten a lot out of him. And he's only going to get better. He's still young and learning the game, but uh, we see improvement week to week, and that's really what you want to see. A.J. Dillon, you can see more and more of him, his uh, injury, and the fumble. What do you think uh, impacts his carries more? Obviously, he can't play, can't play, but is it a banged-up quad or the fumble that Rodgers still was able to get three yards out of? Yeah, that was a key play, obviously. Um, I-, I was surprised that he got playing time. You know, when-, when Jones and Williams have both been healthy, we haven't seen A.J. Dillon, mm-hmm. I was glad to see them him out there and see what he can do definitely has fresh legs uh you know i haven't I, do, I did record the game i haven't watched it back yet and i haven't and whether the injury uh caused the fumble what what caused it he's, he's not known as a guy that that puts the ball on the ground that he hadn't fumbled all season and i don't know what his availability will be this weekend yet but i don't think it's the kind of case where oh the rookie can't be uh counted on we, we can't give him his snaps i think if he's healthy i think he'll still have a role uh although again with with Jones and Williams in a championship kind of situation against a really tough defense that could give Green Bay a lot more problems than the Rams did because of their scheme and, and where their strengths lie. 
Uh, don't know that Dylan's going to have much of a role either way this weekend. Uh, a couple more, Dave, and then one uh, take or so on uh, on Tampa, and we'll let you go until we reconnect with you on Friday. Uh, there was some concern about Mason Crosby that Scott had gone out in halftime, and he was, you know, he was uh, during the halftime he was kicking field goals in in anticipation, perhaps, of Mason Crosby not being able to answer the bell, which he did. Uh, what was behind that? Obviously, there was something there, and clearly not serious. Well, it was the first uh, point after attempt that, I don't know if you remember, it was I a bad do. snap. Yep. They didn't get the kickoff. The ball was on the ground, and Crosby kind of dove for it in kind of a melee going after the ball. And he injured, I've seen conflicting reports, his neck, his arm. I think it was his neck uh, that was bothering him. And there were, if you were following Twitter at halftime, the Packer reporters were concerned. He was in the locker room, and J.K. Scott's out there. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, you know, we're going for two the rest of the day. Right. He's kicking off, and... Start thinking about everything because if, if Green Bay has a weakness this year, it's special teams across the board. Not Crosby, but everything else is always a, a question mark. So that's just not what Green Bay needed. But yes, he finished the game um, too early in the week to know what kind of ramifications, how he's feeling a couple days later. But the fact that he was still able to handle kickoffs and all of his other duties uh, gives me hope that he'll be okay for Sunday. If uh, he isn't, for whatever reason, something else crops up, do they have somebody already there, a backup kicker? They do, yeah. Uh, via the COVID rules, they've had a second kicker mm-hmm. in place uh, all season long just in case something weird happens. So I don't know. They've kind of rotated a couple guys out throughout the year, so I'm not sure who's currently there. But um, and, and maybe they'll even bring somebody else in that's got some uh, experience in the NFL if there's any questions about Crosby's health. But, yeah, there is a backup plan if needed. Uh, Dave, we'll get you out of here on this just real quick. Uh, just a quick take on uh, on what comes up this weekend. Tampa Bay, here comes Tom Brady, Brady versus Rodgers, and, and the Tampa Bay defense is what certainly gets my attention. Quick hit on the AFC, or the NFC Championship game. Yeah, I, I think it, it's the rematch of Green Bay's worst performance of the year. They put 10 points on the board. In fact, they scored the first 10, and then Tampa Bay rolled up the next 38 after back-to-back picks by Rodgers. Um, I think they have the kind of defense that can be difficult because they're very good rushing the passer up front, and they got real speedy linebackers uh, in White and David. And those kind of teams with, with speedy linebackers have given Green Bay's offense trouble all season long. With Tampa Bay, with the Vikings in the rematch, um, Darius Leonard and the Colts, Jeremy Chin with the Panthers, Miles Jack with the Jaguars. Whenever Green Bay's offense has been slowed a bit, it's by a defense with really good sideline-to-sideline athletic linebackers. And in David and White, the Buccaneers have that. So Green Bay has got to go back to the drawing board and, and make sure that Todd Bowles doesn't get the upper hand. I, I like Rodgers in a rematch situation uh, against a team where he didn't perform. He usually steps up in that situation and handles his business. We will uh, talk to you a whole lot about, about more about that game on Friday, Dave Sinek, and theheadcheese.com as you can read his thoughts on this past weekend's game against the Rams. Dave, thank you. Talk to you Friday. Appreciate it. Sounds good, guys. Take it easy. Yeah, good to talk to you. Uh, from the uh, Packers, the one seed in the NFC, to the one seed in the AFC, the Chiefs survived. Nick Athen, primetimesportstalk.com. You can follow Nick on Twitter, at Chiefs Insider. Nick, uh, what what are, an unbelievable finish to that football game. I guess where we should start is uh, the reason that Chad Henney was in there in the first place. Right. Uh, Patrick Mahomes goes down. You know, it wasn't... Uh, 
when when you when you watch the play, and we've all watched it a bunch of times, it mm-hmm. didn't seem like there was contact to his head. Yet clearly, right. uh, he was out of it when he tried to stand up, and now he's in the protocol. And this is up to the NFL whether they clear him or not, which we expect that they will. Uh, but right. bo- talk about the hit, Nick, and uh, were you surprised uh, the severity of it? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, we all as a as a Chiefs fan, setting aside my uh, media cap. Uh, we're, we're just devastated. You know, we went to this before with a kneecap, but, you know, he bounced back quicker than we thought. And, you know, all the reports are indicating that, you know, first I thought, oh my God, definitely a concussion. You know, his head, his brain is scrambled. He hit the head, you know, hit the turf pretty hard. Uh, what we found out last night, I think Jay Glazer reported it. It was more of a, a shot to the back of the neck where it was compressed and, uh, you know, which could be a completely different issue. Um, but, you know, from all reports and things that I'm hearing is that he's probably going to be okay and able to play Sunday, but doesn't matter. Everybody knows he's the face of the NFL. Everybody knows he's the franchise. And I texted you during the game. I didn't think the Chiefs were going to win it. I mean, I had a bad feeling on, like, Friday night, Saturday, and I had an even worse feeling as the day progressed. I thought something was going to happen. It did, but, man, this team just, just overcame it, and I'm, I'm surprised, to be honest. It was uh, quite the victory doing it without Mahomes. And, and the fashion that it ends, the cojones, Andy oh Reid, that play. It's something I've wanted to see forever. I, talking to my you know, coach in middle school, hey, why don't we just yeah. act like we're not going to snap it and then snap it. It'll work if you need to get a yeah. yard. And an NFL team finally does it. How about Andy Reid? Who, whose call was that? Randy, to go for it. Do you think that was his play call or was that the enemy's? No, that was Andy all the way. I mean, you, you could tell, you know, Andy, Andy, Andy made it very clear that we're going to go for it. You know, he said after the game, and, and Chad said, do they, they work on these situations, you know, Saturday night, they go through a lot mm-hmm, of scenarios. They do. And, and they saw something on the film that indicated that, you know, they weren't going to be able to cover that kind of a route. And you look at, you just look at the football cojones that, that Andy Reid had to make that call. I mean, I'm, I'm literally screaming at the TV, you're not going to pass that ball. Just put the man under center. But Andy knew what worked, and he had confidence in his team. And it was I think it was the defining moment for Reed, you know, one of the ones that we're going to remember. But, you know, I, I think the play call was a perfect call based on the situation. You know, looking at it retrospectively and watching it about a gazillion times, you know, that was a surefire way to get the first down. Um, and, and, and I thought it was just a terrific. The last two plays that Chad Andy made, mm. you know, he's, he's in the Mike Livingston lore now as, as, as the best backup, you know, to, in Kansas City Chiefs history. He was just, he made two gutsy plays, and, and uh, thank God he did. You know, no doubt about it. You know what I, what I was thinking, Nick, uh, as, um, as that was unfolding? That it's a good thing that, that Henny was able to play in week 17, right? He, he, yep. he played, he went the, uh, went the distance in, in week 17. And so it wasn't like he hadn't played at all this year. I think it was very fortunate that Reed handled, uh, the end of the regular, regular season the way he did. Yeah, I think he did too. I think that was, that just kind of worked itself through, you know. I think Chad got some experience. He played well in the first half of that game against the Chargers. And then, you know, they just didn't have enough defensive players on the flip side to, to con- contain the, the Chargers. But, you know, you look at the, the, the two big passes. The, uh, the first one is Tyreek Hill, you know, on that first down, mm-hmm. a terrific ball. But the one to Kelsey, you know, right in front of Robinson between two defenders, you have to have a lot of confidence to be able to throw that ball. And, you know, had it not been for that 15-yard penalty, the Chiefs probably put the game away at that point. 
but you know, obviously it didn't. And then to have the the you know the the fortitude and the confidence to do that last play, but he made some terrific throws. Obviously the interception, you know, he should have checked down. He had Williams wide open in the flat. He probably would have gotten all the way down to about the ten or fifteen yard line. It would have been a huge play, but he took a chance, and you know. I fault him for that. Andy Reid said it was a bad play call. Uh, but at the end of the day, the guy made the plays that had to be made. How surprised were you that Kareem Hunt wasn't a bigger part of the game plan? Nick Chubb, one of the best running backs in the game, I get that. But I anticipated we were going to see more Hunt. How about you? I agree. I, I come say it's the first quarter. I said he's not in there. Mm-hmm. And then they put them both in the same time, and they were like, they were just using him as a decoy and a blocker. And I'm just like, Here's a guy, highly motivated, you know, he's got a lot of friends on the team, including Patch Mahomes. You know, he left under bad circumstances. He didn't really have a huge axe to grind against the team, but he wanted to play, and he got, what, seven carries? I mean, wasn't Williams the leading rusher in this game? I mean, it's just amazing to me that they did not use him more. And one thing I didn't understand, too, is why they didn't call more screen pass. You know, they did not get these guys out in the flat. You know, they did not, you know, they did not do the kind of things offensively that honestly, I thought they would be able to do, and that was surprising to me. I I thought Stefanski kind of, you know, had some brain cramps mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, you know, they they have that interception off the gate. The Chiefs do nothing with it. You know, they come back, and I just you could see the difference in the coaching and the ability to make decisions. But you know, like the challenge on the hill catch. I mean, don't, don't waste time out there. Right. You know, this is going to be a fourth quarter game without Hill, without Mahomes in the game. Save your timeouts, you're going to need it. Not that it would have made a difference in the end, but still, it does give them some more flexibility to, to, to make some different decisions. But I, I, I thought not, not running Hunt more, um, not, not doing more screen passes was really, really something that I think fits the Browns you know, in the tailbone. Uh, Nick, uh, since we won't speak with you until a week from today, we'll be recapping the AFC Championship game. Just your thoughts on the uh, Buffalo Bills and the Chiefs. Here we go, Sunday afternoon, Arrowhead mm-hmm. Stadium. It's the one seed versus the two seed. A lot of storylines around this uh, this yep. one. Nick, your thoughts on uh, on what the Bills bring to Arrowhead on Sunday? You know, I think they bring some swagger. I think they bring some confidence. Uh, I was not as impressed as some, you know, with their victory over the Ravens. Uh, had they faced a better quarterback, you know, I think I think you know maybe it's a different outcome. They looked a little flat in some areas, but they've got a they've got a very athletic, fast defense. They've got you know arguably the second best quarterback in the uh, AFC right now in Allen. Um, they're going to come to play. I, I don't think this is going to be a 17 to 14 game. You know, someone's going to have to score 30, 32 points win football game. But I I, I think the Bills are are a solid team. I think the Chiefs are just a little bit better. If Mahomes plays, they're, they're, they're significantly better, in my opinion. Uh, but I, I like the Chiefs in this game. And for me personally, if I can add one more thing, this exercise is my 1993 Demons with Joe Montana going to <laughs> Buffalo in the yes. NFC Championship game. All the, ba- all the boxes <laughs> can be checked. Beat the Bills and beat the Packers. I'm good. Everything's right in the Chiefs' kingdom as far as I'm concerned. Nick, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you a week from today. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the week leading up to it, Nick Gathen. Thanks for popping on. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, okay. Good to talk Take to you. Primetime sportstalk.com uh, is where uh, you can read uh, Nick and a whole bunch of other stuff over there as well. Have you taken a I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Silly question. The point spreads for this game, are they uh, t- a Green Bay right now about a three-and-a-half, four-point favorite? Uh, the Chiefs about a three-point favorite. You like them both? I mean, point spreads, are they right? Yeah, I think that's the right area. Um, 
a little bit surprised. I thought it'd be a tick higher. Kansas City favored. Thought it'd Is be that more Mahomes' it questionability yeah. at this point? I figured that'd be maybe four, four and a half, something mm-hmm. like that, just because we know the Chiefs a lot better after, of course. Well, the Westgate put it out in the middle of the game that the Chiefs would be a four-point favorite. This was before Mahomes got hurt. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I thought it would be a tad higher as well. I don't know. I like Tampa. I know you love Tampa. I love the defense, Trent. That's well, we got a lot. We can we can spend we a lot of time talking about this game this week and guessing that we will. Let's do a keyword, shall we? It's time for another thousand dollar slam dunk. Text the keyword hope to two hundred. Two hundred right now, it's your chance at a thousand dollars. That's hope to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Hi, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic will join us next. We will take a look back at the Hawks as they go on the road and another impressive win uh, over Northwestern. Never gave them a chance. What was the final score? Were they 20-something? 23. 23? It was a clubbing. It really was. Uh, we will talk to Scott Dockerman next. Miller and Condon take you until noon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. We supply the sports. The beer is up to you. 1460 AM, 106.3 FM. This is KXNO. Trek here to let you know my good friends at Renner's Warehouse are in heavy demand right now in Des Moines for three reasons. One, the rental market is booming. People rent during uncertain times and homes are getting leased fast. Two, with professional video marketing and self-showing technology, Renner's Warehouse meets all healthy and safety guidelines for our social distancing world. And three, with regulations changing so quickly, more people are learning that using an experienced property manager is far less stressful than trying to do everything yourself. Now is not the time to DIY or mess with inexperienced property managers. For a low, flat monthly fee, Renner's Warehouse will take the grunt work off your plate with no upfront fees and no paperwork or 3 a.m. maintenance calls. Plus, they can help you turn your part-time rental into a full-time cash flow machine. And if you're a real estate agent, they're offering cash payments for referrals. Go to Renner'sWarehouse.com to book your free home rental price analysis today or call 515-528-4429. That's 515-528-4429. Renner's Warehouse, Des Moines. You'll always have... Terms and conditions apply. Hawks trying to make it a, a runaway. Garza double team. Somebody's open. Frederick for three from the corner. Yes, sir. C.J. Frederick splashes down a three from deep in the right corner. On a Monday morning, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 on the FM dial. Our friend Scott Dockerman from The Athletic joins us. A little breaking news, SEC football-related. Jeremy Pruitt is out at Tennessee, uh, fired with cause. Gets out of that hefty, hefty extension that he got. If indeed they settle on him, I'm sure Pruitt's lawyers will have something to say about that before the uh, we've heard the end of it. And sounds like Philip Fulmer also he picked a date to retire. Uh huh. Sure, you did. Retirement. Uh huh. Little push in that direction. Yeah, sounds like it. Scott Dockerman joins us from the Athletic. Uh, Doc's got a, a good piece. All his pieces are good, but if you're into recruiting, as his former colleague Mark Morehouse used to call it, a good piece on recruiting and some of the needs and perhaps some of the people that can fill those needs uh, within the football program. Doc Trent and Ken, thanks for coming on, Scott Dockerman. How are you? 
guys. I hope you're doing well as well on this Monday morning. Indeed, we are doing our best, sir. So we'll save the basketball for for a second. We clearly want to spend some time on it. You had a nice piece on Connor McCaffrey, uh, the glue guy, at some point last week. Um, just the, the your, your piece on recruiting and the needs. The biggest need would be what, Doc, as far as you know, position group. Where does Iowa need to shore things up? Uh, whether that be you know uh, going the uh, normal way or perhaps a grad transfer, uh, what areas of need did you identify at the athletic? I think defensive line is the crit- most critical component for this team going forward. I mean, this is the third straight year they've lost at least three starters. At least two of these guys will be in the draft. They're two first-team All Big Ten guys. Um, you know, so I was going to need. At a minimum, one, probably more like two guys that could come in and be a bridge because they've really got nobody in that senior class. In fact, they don't. Um, they're really pretty light on experience in the junior class. Now, they have some real talented redshirt freshmen. I think there are three that can be starters and potentially stars in the future in, you know, YA Black and uh, Logan Jones mm-hmm. and Deontay Craig, but they haven't really played other than Black just Black sparingly. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So what I think is that they need to hit the transfer portal for one year, uh, especially at defensive tackle. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, you're looking more big picture, like running back. Uh, Eli Sanders with uh, picked Iowa State over Iowa. Well, Iowa needs at least one running back uh, going into next year, and possibly two. You know, maybe the transfer portal is another place for that. And then, uh, then in the secondary, I think they do need at least somebody just with eyes on the future because they're in really good shape going into this fall. The wide receiver position also won with some question marks, a couple of seniors moving on and Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith. A big class coming in, Keegan Johnson from Omaha picked Iowa over Nebraska. His dad played for the Cornhuskers. What a recruiting win that was for Iowa. We know the Arlen Bruce story along with Brody Breck here at Ankeny. Philson, out of that group, who do you anticipate has the best chance of seeing some playing time at wide receiver next year? I think both uh, the the guys that are coming in in this week, actually, Giga Johnson and Arlen Bruce, both have a chance to to see action on the field. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know they've got some talent there, and then they they do have some experience as well with with Tyrone Tracy, with Nico Regani, Charlie Jones has played, mm-hmm. and, and Desmond Hudson's a guy that they like quite a bit. So they do have some depth. They do have some experience. It's not a real place where they feel bad or anything but i do think there's opportunity and if keegan johnson or arlen bruce could step in and and carve out a role and maybe make the rotation see some important snaps i think they've got a chance to do that and uh you know out of the you know tyrone tracy to me was probably the most underutilized player um at iowa last year and uh, on offense so i think he needs to get the ball a little bit more but I really like the way this receiving core has come together. I think they're in really good shape. Secondary-wise, they're they're going to be fine, um, especially with the announcement that Matt Hankins is going to come back for another year. Did that surprise you, Doc, that he's coming back? It did. Um, I thought it was the smart move to make, but some, sometimes those smart moves are hard to make, and I'm sure it was in his case. Because I'm not so, so sure he would have been drafted. If he would have been, it would have been really late. And, and uh, you know, you really don't have the benefit of the doubt when you get there. I think in his case, to come back, you know, they had a small season. 
He really only played, started two games as a true freshman back in 17. But I think this is his chance to go from being a really good uh, to potentially great cornerback at Iowa. And if you plug him in there, plus you bring in Xavier Williams, who I think we will hear from this year at some point, uh, you've got all five starters returning in the, in the back end of a secondary mm. for a unit that was, was tremendous by, yep. by most of the year. And then also uh, for a defense that's, that's in really ascending. So I think they, uh, they, they do need to get another corner, maybe even two, who they can develop. There's no real pressure, which is a good thing for Iowa. Uh, but, you know, and, that, and that's one of those things where you, you might get a little bit nervous about it. Then you realize, ah, Phil Parker does a good job of finding those guys. And next thing you know, they end up on NFL rosters. Yes, he does. Talking with Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, let's jump over to a little basketball. Iowa, just a dominating performance against Northwestern. That was not a top 25 team, though they were ranked there after their hot start in the Big Ten. But still, going on the road, even without an environment around it, really impressive. This Iowa team, just week after week, game after game, continues to show, yes, this is more than just a good team. This team has a chance to be great. It's really impressive, Trent. I mean, the way that they are able to share the, the basketball, mm-hmm. the way they're able to, uh, you know, the efficiency that they use, uh, the spacing on the floor, how everybody is used in different ways. Uh, you know, in the first half, it was the Luca Garza show, which, you know, you'd expect. But, you know, Northwestern has some talented players, and I think they're a decent team. I don't think they're a great team, I think they're, but I think they're a bubble-caliber team. And, and for them to slice them apart repeatedly, and then in the second half, to really play even more efficient, efficiently without Garza scoring a point, right. this shows what this team is capable of doing against anybody. If they play like that, they have a, absolutely have the potential to be there on that final Monday night, cutting down the net. Now, that was a pretty high performance. I don't know that they'll make that bar every time. But it, I tell you what, it did show you that this team is very much capable of competing with anybody in the country. No doubt about it. And Jordan Bohannon, his uh, uh, the, his play as of late has just elevated, I think, this team. And your piece, your, your piece on Connor McCaffrey, Doc, look, you don't always have to lead your team in scoring or be a double-digit scorer night in and night out to have a significant impact uh, on your squad. And Connor McCaffrey, when he was out in that game against Rutgers and when he's in foul trouble and he's not on the floor, just what he does and brings to his team, Doc, uh, I I know it's appreciated, and I think more people are starting to come around uh, just to what his role is on his team and how important it is. Yeah, and I think that's what people who understand the game differ from those who just watch it at a superficial level. Because when you have a team that has the best scorer in the country and the best player in the country, you don't need to chuck shots up there. You know, Same thing when you have tremendous scorers on the perimeter, you know, in shooters, and then you also have a Joe Wees camp. You have all these players around you. I think it, it takes a healthy dose of self-awareness to do what, what Connor McCaffrey does, and that is let's be the best passer in the country. Let's have the best assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, let's uh, post-feed like nobody else and be that tough guy that really this team has lacked before he got here. I mean, they've had a couple that are, that are like that. Maybe Matt Gatons would probably be one that I would put up there, but they really lack that type of toughness that he presents. So he doesn't need to worry about scoring. Scoring is not the issue for this team. You know, what, what it is is it's about 
making sure that Luca Garza scores and, and Joe Wieskamp scores, Jordan Bohannon. So I think uh, if you could watch just the way he moves without the ball, with the ball, what he does with it, how he coordinates the attack, and then you know the toughness that he plays with, and the ability to play multiple positions on the floor. I think he's a you know a very very important piece to this team, and one that I don't think Iowa would be nearly as good if he's not out there. Iowa loses their game last week against Michigan State. The upcoming weekend game with Nebraska off the board. In terms of flexibility, Iowa has some flexibility right now, but the teams are looking to play, make up games, aren't there? Could we see some reconfiguring of the conference schedule and? Games that even weren't a part of the schedule, adding to it and trying to get those teams to twenty games. I don't know if they'll, you know, insert X opponent to play, you know, in, in the middle of something. Maybe at the end of the year, that, I could mm-hmm. see something like that. But, but right now, I'm sure what they're doing is trying to examine the schedule as to who could fit where, and and there is some flexibility. Um, you know, next Sunday is when, or Saturday. I'm sorry, but Michigan State plays Illinois, and it's a Fox game. They would have to move a few pieces. I think that's possible, but it, it does take some maneuverability, and it's, it's a challenge. So uh, there, all three teams have some open dates because Iowa plays Illinois a week from Friday. So they, they could kind of shoehorn that game in. The Nebraska game might be later. But, but you know, we saw a report from John Rothstein that, I, that the Big Ten is looking to move the tournament from Chicago to Indianapolis. In, in a year like this, and maybe it makes more sense to not have one. Right. You don't have fans. You might as well just use that final week for makeup games, or um, you know, or maybe have non-conference conference games, you know, something to that effect. So, I, I think uh, you know, anything's going to be on the table come close to the end of the year, and um, you know, I'm sure they'll get 20 games in. I doubt. I'm sure they'll still try to play Nebraska. It's the only meeting between the two programs, and it's. it's it's developed into a, an inter, a series that both sides are interested in. Doc, I'm not sure you saw the game on Saturday, Michigan and Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota just, I mean, pummeled, pummeled Michigan. Dickinson uh, did not have a good day, in part by Liam Robbins, who was playing out of his mind. He was so good uh, this past week. Now, conversely, when Minnesota went to Ann Arbor a couple of weeks prior, uh, it was the complete opposite. Dickinson uh, had his way with Robbins. But what does Michigan's loss in the fashion that they did, uh, what does it mean, if anything? Either they just had an off day, or maybe there's uh, did Minnesota expose some warts on the uh, team that Iowa finds themselves tied in at the top of the Big Ten? Games tend to happen. Usually they happen with full audiences. <laughs> so right. I, I usually just kind of scoff at it, but it's a little different now because there isn't anybody there yelling at, at the uh, visiting team. So I think they did expose a few challenges, whether it's Dickinson just finally, you know, hey, he finally went up against a really good center and he didn't, um, you know, didn't compete at a level that he should have. Uh, you know, and Minnesota is a good team. I think Minnesota has proven, it proved to Iowa, in, you know, up there that, it's a team that can challenge opponents. And if Minnesota plays more disciplined, then they're going to be competitive. But, you know, the Big Ten has, uh, you know, 10. I think Seth Davis thought that there was going to be 10 teams that will enter the, the tournament going on the road. And, and sometimes you just build yourself up that it, it's like a blister. At some point it's got to pop. And, and I think that's probably what happened for Michigan. So now it's a matter of how do they learn from that you know, situation and go forward. I think they're still a very, very good team, and I think they'll compete at a high level. But, but right now in the Big Ten, you know, I think Iowa's the best team in the Big I do Ten. Too. I think yeah. Michigan's right there. 
Illinois is kind of underperforming. Wisconsin's always going to be there. I think Minnesota's very good. But I think Iowa's the best. It's just going to be about schedule. And that's that's the really the most difficult part of having a 14-team league. Regular season titles don't matter to a lot of people, but for a program that hasn't won one in 41 years, 42 years now, probably means a little bit more. See, I think it means more than a conference tournament any Oh, absolutely. Week. Yeah, I mean, to do it over the 18-20 game grind. Without a doubt. I'm with you. What happens, though, if Iowa only plays 19 games and for all intents and purposes they're a half game back is is the Big Ten going to treat everything just strictly win percentage say they're 14 and 5 and Michigan is 15 and 5 but Iowa has the head to head well yes win percentage Michigan gets it would they be the regular season title holder <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't gotten that far into the <laughs> hypotheticals Trent you always get into them but no, I you know I don't know. I mean, in football, it was about the loss column, not the win column, uh-huh. and that was what, what determined the differences. I here, I would say, you know, I think they'll get them in basketball. So it's easier to, to compete and get get games in. You could get them in with a a day off in the middle. Of the, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm sure that's probably not going to be a situation. But in Iowa, it is very important. I mean, you know, it, it was one of the last leagues. I think it was the last main league to actually go to a a conference tournament setting. I, I think if you're playing the ruling schedule against that kind of competition, that the regular season should matter. And it bothers me. It bothers me more with smaller co- conferences that have uh, one, their one-bid leagues to just basically throw out an entire season for one weekend of basketball to determine who goes to the tournament. And so I think that, you know, uh, this year in particular, it's really important who could survive that grind go forward so if iowa could win it or come close to winning it i think you got to celebrate that as much or more than any other year that you've, you've had that opportunity scott document is our guest doc i saw that maybe it was your twitter account somebody put it out there there are more hawks still alive in the final four teams in the nfl playoffs more hawkeyes on rosters uh than any other school that is quite an accomplishment what are you working on this week at the athletic yeah i'm gonna look a little bit at um some of the the players who are entering the season early uh the or the enrolling early and that there's six this year and and that's quite a bit so i've tried to hit most of the the players that have uh you know come into the that have committed as signed that are coming in early i want to try to finish that up and and kind of look ahead a little bit more with with football but as you mentioned nine players still live on rosters i believe there were 13 going into this weekend uh so iowa does have a great representation in the playoffs, and a lot of them are really good glue players and important players. So um, I think that's something that, <laughs> that certainly the program will start uh, the trumpet for a long time because it's really important for them. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, we will uh, speak with you next week. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Yeah, you're the same. Scott Dockerman, as uh, we talk a little Hawkeyes, convincing win. So Michigan State, by the sounds of the Doc, maybe, potentially. Let me get Michigan State scheduled in front of me mm-hmm. here. I had it a second ago. As did I. Uh, Michigan State, they play this Saturday against Illinois. And then not again until Thursday. So could you play that game Tuesday or Monday. I mean, we see Monday big 12 teams all yeah. the time. We got one tonight. Monday Kansas and Baylor play tonight. They both played on the weekend. So uh, sandwich that in on a Monday or, or Tuesday. Yeah, Monday or Tuesday. One of those two games. It works. Mm-hmm. It fits. Mm-hmm. I guess the Nebraska program significant COVID. Yeah, it was 
what, seven players? A bunch. And not just Hoiberg, but I think another. More coaches. Yes, yes. a couple assistants. What do they call him? Tier one, I think? Yes. Um, yeah, tier one staff. Um, yeah, I hope they can. I mean, look, we hope they can play them all. Mm-hmm. It's right enough to tell you just how tenuous this whole basketball season is. The Iowa State's going to now at least three. Drake has had, how many have they had postponed? Three or four? Four, because the back-to-backs, two back-to-backs. back-to-backs. Yeah. Um, would have been, um, yeah, it's just a handful. Boy, mm-hmm. you and I got pasted this weekend. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, oh. and played well in the first in the half. Fir- on Saturday, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for the first uh, three quarters of the first half yesterday, and mm. then it just got away in a hurry. Loyal is good. Yep. Drake good? I still don't know. Who who picked Drake in the final with Tim Boyle? Yeah, Doyle. Doyle. Yeah. Now he's a guy from Chicago, right? Yeah, Northwestern guy. Yeah. Right. And didn't BT he do? Network. Didn't he do Big Ten, or mm-hmm. does he still? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got uh, Iowa, Drake, yeah. Baylor, Gonzaga. Gonzaga. That's his final four. Can we sign up for I that. Hope he's right. <laughs> uh, Miller and Condon back to finish up a Monday big big tilt in the Big Twelve tonight. Uh, Baylor hosting Kansas. And Baylor's a significant favorite over the Jayhawks. Did I hear that right? Like eight? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Crazy. Miller and Condon, 1460 kicks. No one. in all states or situations. Wolf Roofing is as strong as ever. We started as a roofing company 26 years ago, and we're still a roofing company today. If there's something going on with your roof, we know what's wrong with it. We take your roof personally, and our staff will meet you first with the business card in hand. You won't just find a dumpster in a trailer in your driveway. There's always somebody to talk to. Let us show you why people prefer Wolf Roofing. Call 225-8866, 225-8866, and we'll talk, or visit us on the web at wolfroofing.net. couple of minutes of a Monday. Murph and Andy coming up at 2. The Fanatics at 4. Iowa State Coaches Show uh, tonight goes at 6.30 right here on 1460 KX and 106.3 FM. So the best game of the night uh, by a long ways. And there is there is action today, is there not? Yeah, this afternoon. you got UConn St. John's. That's at one thirty. Okay. There's hockey and uh, NHL hockey and NBA, NBA already happening. Really? Yes. I believe, uh, yeah, I think there's a hockey game at 11. Something weird like that. Oh, the Islanders usually play on MLK Day. Are they playing? Uh, we have the Blue Jackets and Red Wings. End of the first. Red Wings one nothing in that one. That's a bad team. The Wild tonight against the Ducks. and They're uh, off to a pretty good start, the Wild are. Are, they, are the Wild on the road? They are. They're out in Anaheim. So that'll be another 9 o'clock puck drop? It is, uh, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock? Get an hour earlier. A little bit earlier. With the holiday. And your Jets play at 6? They do. Uh, best game of the night, Kansas-Baylor, 9 uh-huh. versus 2. Baylor's in, as you just mentioned, an 8.5-point favorite. Boy, they're, they, they're so... What's their weakness? What can't they do? Well, and you saw the game over the weekend. Oh, against Texas Tech? Yeah, just hung around, hung around, then Butler didn't play well. Until and, the end. <laughs> right, and... But they have so many other weapons. Uh-huh. They have a guy, especially in that backcourt, they are so deep back there. I mean, four guys that can score 20 mm-hmm. in any given game. And the guy's name we can't pronounce. Gachachu or I don't <laughs> yes, know. But yes. It's not even close. The, the double Dave. He mm-hmm. is amazing, too. It's a really fun team and a really fun group. Uh, Zuma Mahente will join us tomorrow at 1125. Look forward, as we always do, to our conversation with Zuby. At some point this week, we got to get Jimmy B. He's a Buffalo guy. He is, yeah. Worked there a long Spent time. Spent a lot of years in Buffalo, and not that we need an excuse to talk to Brinson, but 
maybe this seems like a pretty good mm-hmm. opportunity to do so. Murph and Andy to Fanatics for tomorrow morning. Morning Rush kicks off at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon, 1460 and 106.3 FM. B.com. The return we have all been waiting for is finally here. UFC's most notorious icon is stepping back into the octagon this Saturday. Be sure to check out DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, for a shot to turn $1 into $257. That's right. New users can bet $1 on McGregor to win by knockout in the first round. And if he does, you'll be cashing $257. Bet a little, win a lot. Let's not forget about football. It's in the midst of their playoffs, so head to the app to check out the great playoff promotions. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code KXNO when you sign up to turn $1 into $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code KXNO for new users for a limited time. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older. Iowa only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings dot com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 